there's a Canada long before there is a United States, but the Canada of the French Aboriginal fur trade is territorially very different than the Canada we now have. Uh, the United States, I think, is a, is a response against uh, the fact that the British Empire seemed to side with the mercantile economics of the fur trade by adding uh, the interior of North America to the colony of Quebec, the French Roman Catholic colony of Quebec. This was a provocation to the Anglo-American colonies. And so where does the United States come from? What, what is the origins of the United States? Uh, and uh, you know, here I think we can find a lot about the origins of the United States that explain a lot about why the United States is acting the way the United States is acting these days. The United States was created because the British imperial government was not allowing for rapid enough Western expansion of the Europeans, was not allowing for efficient transformation of Indian country into private property. And the British imperial government seemed to be siding with Montreal and the mercantile trade interests of Montreal. Uh, so the effort was to create a new form of sovereignty, a form of sovereignty that would be better geared to rapid Western expansion, rapid privatization, a form of sovereignty that would be better geared to incorporate conquest as a, a means of, 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 of empire building. Now, is the United States a nation? Is it a republic? Is it, a, is it an empire? Uh, well, this is, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of speculation about this, a lot of theorizing about this. Francis Jennings writes a book uh, called uh, The Creation of America Through Revolution to Empire. Uh, Francis Jennings. Now, um, just to go back to first principles here, when I say, where is here? As we look out at the globe, where are we looking from? What's our orientation? And I, I said at the beginning, the way I'm, I'm starting to think about globalization, if you're really, if you're really uh, skilled at that kind of study, the methodology, methodology of globalization studies, if we say, you know, how did the world look from the Ottoman Empire in the late uh, 1800s? You know, how did the world look from Africa, say from South Africa uh, in, in uh, the early 20th century? How does the world look today from Taktoyaktak? How does the world look today from uh, Sydney, Australia or from... Um, uh, Java in Indonesia. So as, you know, this is hard. This takes a lot of study of history, of geography, uh, to be able to um, orient oneself uh, and to be able to look out, imaginatively look out the, at the world from, from different vantage points. So I'm suggesting let's start with our, when I say our own vantage point, well, that's problematic too. I mean, I think it's a fascinating thing about the way this course has uh, unfolded that we have consistently had citizens of China, uh, you know, mem members of the class who are studying in Canada, 
but whose allegiance is to China, who are loyal to China, who have every intention of alternative to the West or a, a, a vision of, of the planet rooted in, a, in an indigenous tradition which represents the longest continuous development of a civilization on the planet. Uh, and yet, obviously, China and the United States, China and North America are working closely hand-in-hand -hand in, in a lot of ways, and, and there's a lot of merger there. Uh, so when I say, you know, how do we look at it from here, I've got to be cognizant that whenever you use the first person plural, that's problematic, eh? We, us, ourselves, orienting ourselves to globalization. Who are us, right? I can't assume uh, anything, really. Uh, every individual will, 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 will see it differently, will construct it differently. But in any case, uh, I'm, in, in, in emphasizing this history, uh, of Alberta, of Canada, of the United States, of Latin America, of the Western Hemisphere. And then uh, beyond that, uh, okay, as we start to conceive of a place that encompasses this planet, what is this place? Is it the world? Is it the uh, globe? What, what's its address? What is that community? I'd like to, I'd like to think it's the Earth. I think the Earth is a is a powerful concept, you know. If somebody is earthy, they're kind of grounded. Uh, I guess in when when you talk about the different planets in in space, uh, this orb gets the name Earth. So, uh, and then how how many people on the planet are really in a position to start thinking about that community of all human beings? And it's still, I think, a small part of the world, but it's happening. It's happening. Uh, if we were to really embrace the reality that we're all fellow human beings, then we couldn't think in terms of international wars and civil wars. They would all be civil wars, right? There, there is no other kind of war than a civil war. But, of course, the art of war is to invent, is to in stimulate your people to imagine the other to demonize some other and to mobilize your population to uh, sort of dehumanize that group or see that group as some different type of type of people, so very dramatic people, a very dramatically different kind of people. <clears throat> so, um, so here is uh, you know the Hudson's Bay Company territory. for a bit. <clears throat> the fur trade, uh, I found this a, a rather powerful picture. Um, so, of course, uh, liaison, love, friendship, marriage, patience, Romance, uh, the reality that uh, the people coming in the process of colonization, European colonization, 
are mostly all men. Here's a McNeil has an interesting way of depicting this. So let's let's talk a little bit about gender relations and family. Uh, so here is a a man leaving Europe, going off to the overseas colonies. Uh, so long, he's leaving uh, the female, his mother, his wife, and uh, off he goes. And uh, here's a depiction of a kind of, uh, well, it's a pretty uh, erotic picture, I guess, or sensual picture, or with the baby. And look at that uh, blasé man walking away from his child. Uh, but then here's another uh, picture of a, of, a, of a later stage. And he's coming willingly uh, to uh, a native woman and actually embracing his child and embracing the woman and, and uh, going off with her. So um, this is a, I've come to think about this as a major, major theme of European colonization. Who goes out and colonizes? Male missionaries, male soldiers, male traders. You know, it's, it's, it's a very general. Um, there's also no doubt uh, homosexuals who go off and, and colonize. And, uh, so that, that's a, an element of it. Uh, when you think of the uh, transfer of inter intellectual property, the knowledge that enables colonization to take place. So much of that knowledge comes from Aboriginal women who educate uh, their husbands, their lovers, their friends. And, uh, uh, and there's whole mythologies built up around this. For instance, Pocahontas or Sacagawea. Uh, oftentimes, the women's roles will be kind of made mythological and legendary. And I think there is in this uh, a kind of um, uh, mythological questioning um, of colonization. In other words, uh, Pocahontas in Saving John Smith kind of sanctions the colonization of her land. Uh, Sacagawea uh, helps Lewis and Clark and, and thereby seems to be sanctioning the whole process of uh, U.S.'s Western expansion. So uh, this is um, um, a, a, a depiction of that on the document camera here. Uh, now here is uh, one of these Aboriginal wives. So this is uh, uh, country wives, uh, right? Lady Douglas uh, of mixed ancestry. She became James Douglas's country wife at 16, his legal wife 13 years later. It was James Douglas who uh, expanded um, British Columbia onto the mainland uh, after the California Gold Rush, uh, when it seemed that uh, if Britain didn't move quickly, what is now British Columbia would just become an extension of California because the Californians were coming up for the for the Gold Rush. 
So this is, uh, this is his uh, wife. And you, you, you see these uh, very interesting pictures of, um, of uh, some of the, some of these women were obviously um, tr treated well. Uh, they were big families, happy families. Sometimes the children were sent to Europe to school. Now, um, here's another similar picture of a uh, fur trade family. Uh, Richard Hardesty, Bell Lougheed's uncle. <coughs> So uh, this family here uh, becomes part of the Lougheeds, and I thought this might bring it home to Alberta because, of course, uh, Peter Lougheed, who everybody knows in Alberta, is, uh, comes from one of these fur trade families. So Peter Lougheed is actually Matisse or Métis. Peter Lougheed has a, an Indian um, st strain in, 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 in his family tree. So this is a, a book about a couple of buildings in Calgary written by my friend uh, Don Smith. And Don Smith teaches at the University of Calgary. We both did our PhDs in Canadian history with JMS Careless at the University of Toronto. And uh, so he says to Tony with best wishes from a microhistorian to a macro, I hope, uh, that you enjoy Calgary's grand story. So we uh, kind of joke uh, about how uh, you can diverge. Uh, Don gets a huge amount of uh, information about, say, a building, the Lougheed building in, in Calgary. And uh, he, he jokes about me doing macro, you know, kind of going to the big and he's going to the small. Uh, anyway, you can find, uh, you can find meaning in all kinds of ways. So um, he looks at, how many of you been to, have been to the uh, Lougheed house? It's in, it's, a, it's, it's in Calgary. It's been re, rebuilt, uh, renovated. Uh, the famous uh, senator, James Lougheed, politician, lawyer, and capitalist. <coughs> uh, Lougheed married uh, well, Bell Lougheed, and so here is uh, Bell Lougheed's father, and you can see uh, he's a fur trade man. You can see he's had, you can pretty well see he has Aboriginal ancestry. Um, William Hardesty, Bell's father, Hudson's Bay Company chief factor of the Mackenzie River, River Valley. Photo taken around 1880 by uh, Inglis, Montreal, Glenville Archives. Um, here's Bell Lougheed. Uh, you can see she's a prosperous uh, person, uh, an elite of Calgary. Uh, and um, the pattern of uh, the transformation of Hudson's Bay Company and the wealth of the, created by the Hudson's Bay Company into the Canadian Pacific Railway Company. In fact, the, the very uh, lobby that is uh, seeking to um, develop Canada as a, as a way to um, uh, 
create a, a platform for, for the Canadian Pacific Railway, uh, they take over the shares of the Hudson's Bay Company. And uh, obviously the transformation of Canada from a fur trade domain to a domain dominated by the Canadian Pacific Railway Company, uh, it changes the nature of land tenure, it changes the, the whole nature of, of, of the economy. Uh, here's a very dramatic picture of uh, Alberta in transformation. So there is uh, Fort Edmonton, which I hadn't realized till I saw this picture, that it was actually on the front yard of the, the legislature. And there's the legislature being uh, built in 1912. So let's go a little into uh, prior to prior to uh, 1905 when this area here of course is a familiar picture of Chief Mountain. It's interesting as you look out at Chief Mountain uh, to realize it's in Montana uh, and it's clearly uh, I can see it from my my window uh, in my house Chief Mountain. Uh, the story of Blackfoot people, uh, the Blackfoot in their own language call the, themselves Nitsitapi, Nitsitapi. So uh, I'm, I'm uh, going to uh, observe uh, some aspects of the history of um, this part of the world. Uh, here's, here's a picture of the fur trade post, Rocky Mountain House which of course is, uh, connects over the mountain. So you can see there's Fort Edmonton, uh, Nelson House. You can see that uh, the main route is very much along the uh, northern Saskatchewan. And of course from uh, this area you can, you can head north into the Athabasca. Uh, Athabasca refers to the language of the Indians. The Athabasca the Athabascan speakers uh, in a, a group of them in 1975 started calling themselves Dene, which is their name for people. They started to affirm their identity as the Dene Nation in the Northwest Territories. Dene is, is uh, Athabascan for people. Uh, another big Athabascan speaking group are the Navajo in south, uh, southwestern um, uh, United States. So if we if we look at this uh, rendition of this area as it was with respect to the fur trade, we can clearly see that it's the North Saskatchewan. The South Saskatchewan, the Porcupine Hills, is not an area where there is uh, a lot of uh, uh, presence of the, of the Northwest Company of, or later the Hudson's Bay Company, which takes over the Northwest Company. But then look what happens Subsequently, these are the whiskey trading posts. And so Fort Whoop was the Fort Whoop Up was the most notorious of all the whiskey trading posts. So uh, 
item that was sought after was buffalo hides. Buffalo hides were very good in making conveyor belts for industrial processes because I guess the, the, they're so big, buffalo are big, that you can get a long strip of hide and you don't have to sew it because whenever you sew hides together, it's problematic if you're trying to create a, a belt for some kind of production process. I find that a very powerful image. Isn't it a powerful image to think of the buffalo being transformed into assembly line processes uh, to industrialize um, North America? Uh, so um, that, that's what's taking place. Um, now, uh, the whiskey, whiskey trade. So this is a, a Blackfoot publication, a Nesitapi publication. And uh, so it's written as Blackfoot people telling their own story. Uh, so this is what this publication has to say. Whiskey was the most important commodity these Americans traded. The effects were disastrous. Brothers killed brothers in drunken brawls. Men began to beat their wives. Some men sold their wives to traders in exchange for whiskey and food. And the buffalo herds became smaller. Uh, this is uh, infamous. Fort Whoopup, uh, if you go to, uh, uh, say, a gas station where they're set up so you can't rob the gas station, there's a, uh, an invisible uh, shield, some kind of plastic shield. You put the money in a tray. You pull the tray in. You get the change. You get it back. There was a similar th thing at Fort Whoopup where you put the, 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 the furs in a in a container, the container is pulled inside the fort, then some whiskey is poured out. But uh, uh, apparently the, this whiskey was uh, uh, also um, mixed with uh, toxic substances, urine. Um, it was really toxic stuff. Uh, I guess the scene outside Fort, Fort Whoopup was just horrific. Here is... Uh, if we can go back to the docu-camera. Uh, for buffalo robes, the Americans traded primarily whiskey, the rot gut mixture of alcohol, pepper, gunpowder, and other toxin poisoned the Blackfoot. Bull Plume's winter count symbol recounts the death toll from the whiskey trade. So winter count is a way of recording history, what happened uh, every winter. Uh, and look at this. It's, uh, Blackfeet, 29 died from whiskey. 92 blood Indians died from whiskey. 30 pagan Indians died from whiskey. So this, this is a very, uh, how many people really understand that that Fort Whoopup is a U.S. post? It's a U.S. post. Uh, is, has Lethbridge really matured beyond Fort Whoopup, a, a whiskey trading post to the Blackfoot Indians? I mean, I think that's a, a question that one could ask. I mean, do you see a lot of Blackfoot Indians working in Lethbridge, you know, working in, in the stores? What, what is the commerce of, 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 uh, of Lethbridge then? What is it now? How much has it changed? Um, um, I, I think that's a fair question. Um, so this was, uh, you know, this is part of the legend of Canada, part of the propaganda of Canada. And there's some basis of truth in it that the Northwest Mounted Police was created 
to regulate this situation. And obviously, uh, what we now call Alberta was becoming part of Montana, was being incorporated into the, into the um, economic system of, of Montana. And uh, there was a power vacuum. If we can go to the, you know, these, these, these whiskey trading posts. It's not only uh, Fort Whoopup. You know, there's Fort Kip. There's, there's many around here. Uh, Healy was one of the, the whiskey traders. Healy is a name uh, on the blood reserve to this day, and I assume that's, that's the origin of that name. So uh, the story of uh, the whiskey trading post, of course, they're going into a power vacuum. Hudson's Bay Company sells their titles to the Dominion of Canada in uh, 1869-70. And, uh, and yet the Canadian Pacific Railway isn't finished until 1885. So although the Hudson's Bay Company withdraws its claim after 1869-70, and of course Louis Riel is there to say, you better deal with the indigenous people. We're not just trees. We're not just deer. You know, we, we have our own way of life, and, and uh, we have forms of title and, and legal relationships among ourselves, and you have to deal with that. So, uh, so there was uh, a period there where indigenous people had some bargaining power and forced Canada into the negotiation of the numbered treaties. But... Uh, it was this period after the withdrawal of the Hudson's Bay Company, Company's titles and before the coming of the CPR where how would the land be held for the Dominion of Canada. So the Northwest Mounted Police were created. They came and regulated the, uh, the whiskey trade. Uh, as, the, as the text here says, at first our people thought the Red Croats were helping us. They chased the whiskey traders back to the United States. Canada, at least, became a sanctuary from liquor. But soon the Red Coats began enforcing their own laws. Hunting was restricted. Our people could no longer defend their territories against other First Nations. Of course, Colonel McLeod befriended Crowfoot. It was on the basis of that friendship that Treaty 7 was largely created. Interestingly, uh, although the Northwest Mounted Police made a show of ejecting the whiskey traders, they continued to be supplied themselves by the I.F. Baker Company, which was an extension of the American Fur Trade Company. John Jacob Astor, of course, the famous U.S. Uh, real estate developer, the origins of his wealth were in, in the fur trade. Uh, so the RCMP even continued to get supplied from the Missouri River system. The Whoopup Trail you know, continues to this day. This, in, in a way, is the most Americanized part of Canada, the part of Canada where uh, there's probably the least sympathy to the government of, uh, in Ottawa and the most sympathy to the government in Washington. Now, of course, the fact that this area has now created the government in Ottawa creates a historic moment where we'll see. You know, you can't, uh, it's, it's harder just to demonize the national government now. It's going to have interesting implications for um, the identity of Alberta. <clears throat> 